This is Table Talk, the bonus episode for Live from the Table, the official podcast of the world-famous comedy seller. I'm Dan Natterman, host of Table Talk, along with co-host Periel Ashenbrand. Hi. And we have with us Larry Terlovsky, who was- Derlovsky. 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 I am sorry. Larry Derlovsky. Uh, Doctor. Doctor. He's a board-certified psychiatrist. He was with us for the main episode. He decided to stick around. He may or may not actively participate in the bonus episode, but he wanted to stay. And we, but first, I want to discuss with you, Periel, and yeah. I watched uh, the Brooke Shields documentary "Pretty Baby" on Hulu. I watched part one. There's two parts. I only watched the first part. But um, I don't. Did anybody else see it? It was actually quite interesting. I mean, I was a kid when Brooke Shields was coming out. I didn't realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, it's actually amazing and kind of horrifying how adults were sexualizing her as a even as young as 11 years old. Mm-hmm. But the the the, the, um, the documentary opens with Mike Douglas, remember him, the Mike Douglas show, saying, you really are an exquisite young lady, to Brooke when she was about 15 or 16. Um, which, I don't know how that was perceived at the time, but in 2023, I'm like, wow, that's kind of a creepy thing to say to a 15 or 16-year-old girl, you know. Um, and, uh, of course, she was in Pretty Baby, and she played a child prostitute. And, and she had to make out or kiss a 29-year-old man, which is unbelievable. Like, would you ever let that happen Well, that, She thinks that was okay, though. She, would, she, had, she did an interview with Terry Gross in which she said, I don't know who that was, the 29-year-old guy, but he apparently was very nice to her. Yeah. And it was not, but it sounds horrible. No, it's well, insane. They, 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 you know, I mean, I was talking to you in, with Danny Cohen before the show. They could have probably, they could have just cut away as they were about to kiss. There was a movie years later, uh, Stayed in Maine. It was a movie, I think David Mamet wrote it, and Alec Baldwin was like a guy that was into young chicks. And there was a scene where he was kissing, about to kiss Julia Stiles who was, I guess, a teenager at the time. This movie's from the 90s. So they didn't show them kiss. They showed them kind of approaching each other, and then it cut away. Right. So between the, I guess, Pretty Baby came out when? The early 80s or late 70s? Yeah. And the, and the late 90s, opinions, I guess, shifted, and they didn't show a grown man kissing a teenager. That would girl. never happen today, right? I mean, you would never be able to do no, that. No, they, they, like I said, even in the, in the late 90s with the state in Maine, they didn't do it. So... Things have changed a great deal. Um, there was there was another thing where she had to do a scene where she was a teenager and she had to be she was I think it was endless love, and she was had to be having sex and showing ecstasy, showing like you know facial expressions of ecstasy, and she didn't even know what that was. Right. So the director twisted her toe. Who, I, who was the director of it? Was it Franco Zeffirelli? I forgot. But he twisted her toe that, so that she would grimace and simulate. Uh, you know, sort of a uh, ecstatic facial reaction. I mean, the things that women and young girls had to endure in Hollywood I, is just unfathomable. What about Lolita? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, well, in, banning books. I mean, well, in that in the movie Lolita, you're talking about. Uh, did they just remake that? I mean, they like, did remake it, but did they show any kissing between Lolita and who played uh, Jeremy Irons? I think. Yeah, Jeremy Irons. And and who played Lolita? Uh, Dominique. Wayne, I think it was, but I don't know if they showed them doing anything together. They might. But there's still the attraction of this man to a young girl. Do they comment in any way? I mean, is there any? You know, Lolita sort of made it seem. Am I right? No, I think. Or did the book make it seem that he's 
A sick, sick man. No, he was in I don't Nabokov's know book. He was in Nabokov? A, Nabokov? <laughs> Nabokov, I thought it was, but uh, it, it might be. Look, it you're might be dying Nabokov. for me to be wrong. You could, you just, I, I nothing don't know would what, give you more fucking I, I, pleasure I, I, than if I was pronouncing that wrong. The Humbert, Humbert character. I don't know if he was, I never finished the book. I was actually was assigned it in college, mm-hmm. but in like most things in college, I didn't actually do the assignment. Which is why I wound up a comedian, but um, well, you wound up in lost. Yeah, I know because I I was in Warden, and anybody with decent grades got really well-paying jobs on Wall Street after Warden. Um, I did not because I had bad grades. I had bad grades because I was in quite not well in college. Um, you know, I just was very, I was depressed, and I was, um, you know, and I I just. I, I did, was not at functioning at on all cylinders. I, not that I am now, but um, too bad that you didn't have gnome <laughs> around to tell you to snap out of it. But, but I being a man. <laughs> but I didn't get good grades, so I didn't get a job on Wall Street. But I did get good LSAT, so I was able to get into law school. Well, thank God, because it, we would have been robbed of. The in any case, I probably would have gone into comedy anyway, because that's really what I wanted to do to begin with. But the point is, is I didn't finish the book, but I read most of it. Uh, I don't recall Humbert Humbert being portrayed as um, good or bad. He just sort of was. But there's a lot of, like, him describing... Well, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess, right? I guess, I mean, society, like, um, the he, he married a woman because the woman's was Lolita's mother, and he wanted to be close to Lolita. And the woman discovered that, in his writings, that he was into Lolita, and she was horrified by it. So I guess in that sense, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was portrayed in a negative way. Yeah, it was definitely the- not. Okay, can you ask your friend chat GBT how you pronounce um So Nabokov was horrified? <laughs> I don't as far as Nabokov is concerned, I don't know how he felt about it. How Nabokov or Nabokov felt about his main character. He knew he knew it was wrong that society frowned on it, but I don't know if Nabokov they sexualized a lot of people. I don't know if Nabokov <laughs> was into little girls or not. No, I don't, I don't know that he was or he wasn't. I just I mean to write a whole book about a dude that's into young chicks. I mean, you know, I don't know. That's a little odd, don't you think? I guess that's a fair point. He I remember reading a paragraph of whoever the guy is that likes young Humber, girl, Humber. right? Whatever, and it's it, he's talking about it as if it's a okay. Th- I mean, it's just like you know. Well, that's his character. character. That was his no, I get that, but yeah. there's a lot of that in the book. That's a right, whole lot of it too. Announced the name of who was a Russian American novelist. Poet and translator. Is this ChatGPT? Say his name. Vladimir Nabokov. All right. Nabokov. Oh. I always that called him Vlad. Myself, Nabokov. I always That sounds closer to Periel's pronunciation. No, she said Nabokov. No, I said Nabokov. It's Nabokov. Um, Whatever. In um, any case, yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know what Nabokov thought of young girls. It, it's quite possible he found them uh, erotic. Well, if, you know, if the idea is if, if he wrote about them that he was into them. Well, I don't know. I'm I think just saying it's it is not a reasonable thing, premise. It's an odd thing to write an entire book he about. He did write dude. also a lot about chess and butterflies, and he was really into both of those things, too. So, In any case, Brooke Shields seems to have come through it quite well. I don't think Brooke Shields was necessarily traumatized, at least not irreparably by the whole thing. and well, she, she did. She's come to see my band very often on Monday nights. Has she? Yeah. She's a very nice lady. Very nice. Yeah, I've met, met her here at the cellar. 
she's a friend of one of the comics. Two two famous movies are Bruce Brooks Shields and now the woman who plays Jean Grey, Fanky Famke Jensen. Famke Jensen comes. Yeah, she. Why comes don't we up. get her on the podcast? Well, but we get Brooke, we could try to get Brooke or Famke. Would be amazing. I mean, it would be a, a, unbelievably amazing. But uh, I only saw Brooke here once. In any case, she came through it with wealth and fame and perhaps some trauma, but I don't know how severe. But, you know, it's just really more a comment on society at that time. And, and the message that was sent to young girls. The, the, right. the, the, I, she, can't, she can't have an orgasm unless somebody grabs her toe. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the most destructive thing is not what, what Brooke Shields suffered. And I, I don't know what she suffered. But the message that's sent to young girls that all you're good for is to be pretty. Right, sure. Yeah. I mean, that that now, I think, has started to change a little bit. But certainly that is the message that you got, certainly in her time and even, you know, when I was growing up and even even when I was in college and in grad school and, you know, going out into the world, starting to well, we'll a, be a we'll writer. Ask, we'll ask our, um, our, our, psycho our psychiatrist... Uh, if he thinks that it's better or worse now, but again, you don't treat children. Well, you, you know, I'm just thinking about all these young women, you know, the, the musical stars that are so hypersexualized, and even you know, dating back to Britney. I, 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 I think true. it's still pretty messed up out but there. But that's yeah. the hypocrisy. Well, Britney, Britney girls, in her you know? original video was in high school. Remember, she yeah. was yeah. in high school, and oop, uh, um, hit me, baby, one more time. Or oops, and oops. Baby, baby, I get on my knees. I get on my knees. What am I saying? Um, I've lost a love and feeling. Um, um, but that's what but, but she was. She was like twiddling her pencil in class, daydreaming, and she was a high school girl. Yeah. But so. this is the hypocrisy that I was trying to talk. What's the hypocrisy? That I love it when Pearl talks hypocrisy. Well, because you got so angry before, but you thought I was trying to like twist your words, but I wasn't. What I was trying to say is that there is this hypocrisy of, you know, modesty in America, but actually it's bullshit because the things that we value and the messages that we send are not really modest at all. Well, I don't know if it's the same people. Like some people are modest and some people are not. I don't you're, you're assuming it's the same people that are making that are producing Britney Spears videos that are also preaching against you know, um, I just think promiscuity. There's, there's there's a real even Playboy magazine and these like toddlers and tiaras show like you have this thing in this country that is, quote unquote, you're supposed to be modest and women are supposed to do this. There's a real Madonna horror complex. And you see it over and over again in the media, and you see the messaging everywhere. Well, one thing we do agree on is that Brooke Shields uh, kissing a, a, a teenager, kissing a grown man in a movie wouldn't fly today. I don't know that a talk show host Remember would tell— bl Blame It on Real with Michael Caine and that young— Yeah, that was like 1980. Yeah. And they what was he, like, with 16-year-olds or something? Yeah, 16 or 15 even. Well, there's also that Woody, Woody, Allen, Woody Allen movie. But uh, as, far, as far as women being sexualized— I mean, young girls we're talking about. Oh, it's just young girls. We're talking well, about. We're, 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 yeah, because the Brooke Shields documentary, she, she was like a teenager. She was 11 when she had to kiss the 29 year old. I mean, can you imagine? So, I mean, that wouldn't fly today. But, you know, other things, I guess, do fly. But, uh, but would anybody as a parent be okay with having their 11 year old kiss? A 29-year-old man? If, if and you know what she talked, she, talked <laughs> she talked about that her first kiss, she thought a lot about, I guess, young girls think about their first kiss, and she was thinking about that a lot, and the actor said this one 
doesn't count. Right. That, was, that was meaningful for. I yeah. just thought the whole thing was just. Ugh. Well, that was you know. Hey, did you do see the? Um, did you see the Brooke Shields documentary? I didn't see the special. This was in an interview okay. with. Uh, I mean, kudos to him for saying that, but. I don't know. <laughs> Still. He might have said, "Look, maybe we could cut away before we kiss." I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't know that Brooke was necessarily traumatized by the whole thing, but it, you know, it's a little bit. Uh, You're saying she came out okay on the other. As end. far as I know, she does. We, we she's not here to t- discuss it. You know, and I don't know whether she would say it was all worth it because she got a lot out of it. I, I mean, she got fame and fortune. Now, to what extent she feels it's worth it, I don't know. Mm. She she was in the interview with Terry Gross fairly positive about her career. Her mother was an alcoholic as well that she talked a lot about. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah her mother was out Terry, of her uh, mind. Terry uh, yeah. Terry Shields. Right. So well, she was a stage mother. Right. She was a woman that of limited means. That was using her daughter to get to the next level financially. Well, and to live out her own fantasies. Out her own fantasies. Which is a horrible thing to do to any child, yes? I mean, we can all agree on that. Yes. Uh, unless the child really, really wants to do it. And what I was talking about with you and uh, Danny Cohen before the show is that she married Andre Agassi, and that marriage was not good and didn't last. But Andre, I read his autobiography, and his father pushed him into tennis. Yeah, that's... In- um, his father was like an athlete, but you know he wanted his son to uh, to be a famous tennis player. He had other children, but they weren't as good. They didn't show aptitude for tennis. And Andre Agassi Andre did not Agassi, want to. He didn't know. He he hated it. He didn't want to do it. Um, he was pushed into it. And you know, if I if he were on the podcast, I'd ask him whether he thinks it's the fame and fortune were worth it. And I would ask Brooke the same question. I think that as a parent, but I think Brooke enjoyed acting. She might not have enjoyed kissing a. 29-year-old man, but she enjoyed acting and and and, and all that, uh, where Andre really seemed to dislike tennis a great deal. I'm always skeptical of, you know, people don't necessarily tell the truth with all its nuances, even about their own lives. It's a good story to talk about how you never wanted to be a tennis player and turned out to be the world's greatest tennis player. Almost irresistible story. I'm sure he had issues at times where he was really, really felt pushed into it, but I don't know if we have to just pretend... Like, it's well, definitely true. Well, that you may be right. I don't know. And I, I would ask him these questions if he were here. There was one interesting um, part of the book where he says his father bet money on him. Like, he would, there was some athlete, a grown man, and um, his father said, my son can beat you. I forgot who the athlete was. He wasn't a tennis player, but he was an athlete and a good tennis player. Uh, and, and Andre's father said, my son can beat you. I'll bet you like 10 grand. It was like a big sum of money. That he bet that, uh, and this is pressure. I mean, the kid, Andre at the time was like 12. I don't know, whatever he is. Um, and, and his father's like, okay, play him. Because, and there's like 10 grand instead, whatever the sum was. I mean, that's a lot of pressure for a father to put on a kid. But uh, that's the kind of father he was. He was, a, he was like a stage mother except with tennis. Right. He was like Terry Shields except with tennis. Um, I don't know. I think you have to be really careful with doing that to kids i think it, you know i don't know maybe noam's right it's uh I, maybe I'm, he's exaggerating yeah i mean it, it is a great story but i do think it's fucked up to try and live out your you know hopes and dreams through your kids yes i mean unless the, again you know you some kids do enjoy it and do want you know, do like acting and, and all Sure. That. And you That's have to be very careful. Though. Oh, and there's a million kids who said, why did my father let me give up the piano? I was so good at it. Why didn't they, for, like, I was I was too, so stu- I was too young to know I didn't want, like, you know. This, well, to what extent, I mean, you're a, you're, a, you're a parent, Noam. I mean, to what extent would you pressure your children into practicing piano or guitar 
what what is that? What is the uh, right do, balance I, to strike between? I you do know, pre- I do pressure them. Okay. <laughs> um, um, what's the right balance? At what point do you say they're not interested and 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 fuck it? I mean, I I don't know. You know, you know, you you have to monitor the situation because they they have their ups and downs. Like my daughter will say, I don't want to play piano anymore, and then four days later, I'll see her take her phone and put something on YouTube and try to figure out some song. So obviously, you know, she's, she, she likes to play piano. Right. What she doesn't like is sometimes practicing because it's hard work, but they're kids. If you felt that she had an unbelievable aptitude for it. Then I would force her. No, no seriously? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like if, David... If, I, if like she's like true, true If she was genius. a prodigy, you felt, and she... Well, did, I, I don't know if I'd force her, but I, I'd, I'd push her much harder because I, I, I would assume that... Um, that if she actually has that ability, then she's going to want to play. Even if she hated it? I, I think, I know people are probably rolling their eyes listening to this. I think the concept of hating it is elusive. You hate it in the moment. You hate it because somebody's pressuring you. I mean, we, we force them to do their homework. They hate that. I do think that there uh, is... Is that traumatizing that you had to do your homework? Do you, are you sorry that you were forced to do your homework? I was going to say that I do think that there is value in teaching kids that there is something called hard work, right? I mean, I do think that especially today with all of these iPads and video bullshit and all of that, there is something, um, you know, everything's a lot easier. And so there is this idea that, you know, you don't want to do it because it's hard work. But I don't know. I think that when kids love something, they don't mind doing it as much. Well, Noam brought up a good point. They No kid loves doing homework, yet we make them do homework. We feel it's good for them to do homework. I don't feel it's good for them to do homework, and I think that there's been ample evidence proving that homework is kind of useless. Well, I guess that's another topic. How, do you, how exactly do you get skillful at multiplication without doing homework? Well, you can, nobody's saying that you shouldn't study or do it at school, but I think that the concept of going home and doing a ton of so homework— So you, should never, do, you never, should never write a report? I didn't say that. You should never read a book? I, did I say that? Well, that's homework. No, not necessarily. I'm talking about every single day going home and doing— you know, these like worksheets, I think that there's been quite a bit of evidence showing that this is not necessary. You're saying that if you confine it just to the six hours they're in school, that would be sufficient, or at least an up through high school. Or even every single day, this homework that they send them home with is not necessarily useful. Well, okay, and, but and the, the amount of homework but you right. make, but, get now all right, compared well, but to but even, even if even if you make, I concede that point, you still make them go to school. Sure. Which is something they don't necessarily want to do. So the sure. point is, is we do push kids to do things they don't want to, do, or household chores that they don't want to do. Right. And you know, I was, you know, mowing the lawn or whatever, taking or the garbage exercising. or whatever. So, so we do force them to do certain things. The question yeah. then is, should we expand that out to piano, to uh, extracurricular activities? To what extent we should uh, yeah. well, encourage and or force kids to do? I those think things. that you do. I think you have to be careful about. You know, too much. You know, it's a it's a balance. I they think. let you know. I mean, I think if you're pushing them too hard, they let you know yeah. that you're pushing them too hard. It's I mean, pretty clear. You don't want to turn your kids into like nervous wrecks either, right? Like that's not good. I mean, that's just my parenting philosophy. Like I I don't want to be a parent that puts so much pressure on my son that like he feels like he has to excel at like some crazy level and do all of this work like you also want to let them 
You should pressure him to do the things that you that he can do. Well, I pressure him. Don't pressure him to do the things to do the things that you know he's going to fail at. That's really that's that's the sweet spot. That's because good advice. If you pressure them and they and they succeed at it, then they're going to forgive all the pressure and they're going to they, right. They're happy. Well, what about Michael Jackson? There's another example of a guy who whose father was he was a stage father of of sorts. He 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 pushed the kids into being the Jackson Five, and now they gain tremendous wealth and fame from that. Well, I know. Uh, he also he also he also yeah, abused. He was, yeah, he was oh, physically abused. abused. I, don't I don't know if that's a necessary. Well, at part. least at least according to the VH1 movie. Well, I mean, I think everybody <laughs> knows that Michael Jackson was like severely verbally and physically right. abused. But by I his think it's, I think I think it's fair to say that Michael Jackson did not have an enjoyable life, despite. <laughs> The fame and fortune, you know. Except when he was sleeping with kids. Your point, <gasps> your point is actually very well taken. I think. Mark this down, Nicole. <laughs> that's the second time. Go ahead. Um, I think that what you said is that like you you make them do the things that you they're that you know they're going to be good at because there is there is a good ch- like you want to be challenged, right? And it's actually because of you that I started making my son read every single day. She thought he wouldn't have to read. No, shut (laughs) up. I'm giving you a compliment. And then you, I never said he didn't have to read. I just didn't. First of all, you have more kids than I do. Um, I didn't really realize the value of making him read like 20 minutes every single day. And it was during COVID. So like school was all fucked up and you were like, you really have to make him read every single day for 20 minutes. Did you say Noam says you have to do it? Yeah, well, he, yeah, I think Noam probably told him <laughs> um, he had to do it. And and it really made a very, very big difference. And he is an excellent reader. And I really do think that Part of it is from that practice. You know, I also made him go to camp in Israel where nobody spoke English. Um, to improve his Hebrew. To And he he speaks Hebrew, but he didn't speak it at that native level. And it was challenging. That, was that, that's, that's, a, that's actually a big topic of interest to me as somebody who, who's interested in languages, how to get your kid to speak your language. There's a lot of kids whose parents come from other countries where another language is spoken, and they don't speak that language because sometimes the parents, they resist. They The parents try to talk to them in the language of their homeland, and the kid responds in English because it wants nothing to do with the native language. So um, that, that's a... You know, that's a challenge for a lot of parents to yeah, get their kid to challenge. speak the language, that language. But it is... When the kids I'll, always resist. You speak French, right? That is correct. I, I'm not... I don't claim to be a native-level speaker, but I... I, I can say what I need to say. And when did you start to well, put energy into that? Uh, about 20 years ago, um, I had come back from Montreal. Now, my parents are from Montreal, but they're English speakers. They're not French-speaking uh, Montrealists. But I'd come back from Montreal, and it, this was like shortly after 9-11, and I just had French in my mind. Now, at the time, I was living with a roommate, and I was trying to avoid him at all costs. <laughs> not because he was a bad guy, but you, you, know, you don't want to see your roommate. Like, you, enough. So I used to go to the bookstore. Back then, there was a, a bookstore in every corner, and I just hung out at the bookstore all the time. So I, shortly after that trip to Montreal, I was at the bookstore. I saw a book, French, The Fast and Fun Way, or whatever it was, it was Barron's. Picked it up, started reading it, and to my amazement, I was enjoying it. Now, I had taken Spanish in high school and never liked it, but for, as an adult, I enjoyed learning French, and I studied. I read. I bought the book. I bought another book. I bought another book. I started buying Paris Match, which is like People Magazine for, for Paris for France. 
and I would read through it, and if I didn't know a word, I would look it up, and I would write it down, and I would memorize the words. And it's very but French is but really a di- but French is difficult. I mean, there's not a correlation. Well, it's no, not no, like no. Spanish. No, no, French and French and Spanish are both very close, and and to English because there's a heavy Latin influence. Um, William the Conqueror, when he when he came to England, he introduced French into the into in, into England, and and it influenced the English language to a great extent. That's why English has so much Latin in it. This is a very unique circumstance, though. I mean, I think French is certainly a lot easier than Chinese or Russian or German. Yeah, but Dan, or Dan, you have to concede that. I mean, you are likely of quite exceptional intelligence to be able. M- most people, I don't think, without living in well, France, I think with a sufficient degree of studying and interest, you know. Um, why do you? I'm, think I'm, not, I'm like- not a dummy, but but but. Motivation is is a big factor as to why I was able to to learn it. Why were you motivated? I just l- really enjoyed it. I'm not sure. I can't tell you why. French women. I cannot tell you why. I really, really, really enjoyed it and still do. Um, do you like French girls? I, I started trying to study <laughs> Hebrew. Not, not. I mean, yeah, but not any more than other girls. But uh, I I have studied Hebrew, but I find it so difficult that I always give up. And then I. After a year goes by, I forget how difficult it was, and I try again. I'm like, no, no, this this is impossible. So here's the thing. So the I've way, never really, you know. The way to learn a language is to immerse yourself. The, the easiest way to learn a language is to immerse yourself in that language, in the country, ideally, where well, yeah, everybody the best way. That is, And there's that age thing, too, that well, your brain sure, language is still acquisition, malleable. Right, right, so language acquisition is at its peak when you're younger. So it's much easier to teach a child another language than it is to teach It's the best age to learn to kiss, too, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> Eleven. Um, <laughs> and and you're, right, you're right that the kids are resistant, but I have seen it done countless times. I mean, my mother, I learned to Talking speak... about the language now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no I, was, I was good at kissing from a very young age also. Um, I mean, my mother taught me how to speak Hebrew, and my father didn't speak Hebrew. So it's, and I know plenty of parents. I mean, the twins, um, they speak. Lenka and Lazar? They speak um, Serbian, Serbian fluently yeah, yeah. because their parents. That was their first language, yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. At home, that's what they say. Oh, at home, right. But then they also go to Serbia every summer. And so I do the same thing. You asked a question and now you're on your phone. I'm sorry. He I'm does sorry. That. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, go ahead. So, you know, my husband speaks to our son in Hebrew almost uh, ex- exclusively. He studies it formally, and we spend a lot of time in Israel. And his Hebrew is, you know, it's not per- flu- perfect. It is fluent. It's not perfect. It's not native level, I should say. Um, but I think I can't. <laughs> well, you, you, might find it, <laughs> you might find it boring, but uh, but I, I don't find it boring. I don't find it boring. Anyway, I like uh, the part where she credited me for teaching her son. The one I do want to—we're we're almost done with the bonus episode. But since we have the good doctor, I would like to ask one question that we didn't—we did not discuss in the main podcast, and that is the the comedian self-medicating with marijuana. Mm, good question. And is marijuana a valid mental health treatment? It's a chemical like any other. You know, it's... Uh, are there valid uses in psychopharmacology for... Well, look, LSD and there's a, psilocybin are all sort of hot topics in psychiatry these days of, uh, you know, microdosing and things like that. These all, they all affect chemi- brain chemistry. 
Um, I think marijuana. There's sort of this this thing between, um, you know, it's a weird thing in that certain states had medical marijuana right. and that as a physician, you could certify that the person should get medical marijuana and then they would go to the medical marijuana place and it was sort of like giving them a note that just said, give this person some weed yeah. because it was the people at the place would decide what marijuana they got. Mm -hmm. So physicians don't know a whole, I don't know a whole lot about it, but there it's a dopamine pathway, it's a serotonin pathway, and it's the norepinephrine pathway. Most psychotropics that affect mood go through those pathways. So I don't, I don't know quite the difference between, I guess, sativa is the stimulatory, stimulatory one, and indica, right? Indicouch, yeah, right, Indicouch. Right. Well, that's what they say. I don't know right. if there's much difference between them in terms of their effect. I think a lot of that's exaggerated. I don't know. Oh, really? See, I think I, that's, that's, well, that's really. What I read oh, well, I've, I, I thought that that's really sort of what it's all about, that if it's an indica marijuana strain that it, it's supposed to chill you go to sleep. I mean, I have friends who, you know, will do it at night to go to sleep, and they, they it kind of knocks them out, um, the indica stuff. I don't know people that use the sativa. So I do think that through my teenage years and early 20s, I smoked an insane amount of marijuana as like uh, to sort of veil anxiety that I didn't know that I had. Yeah, but the THC uh, percentage is through the roof right now. now. That, it was it like it used to be like 7 percent. Now, when you go into these places, it starts at like twenty percent. It's yeah, I know it's it's, it's really bad. I have friends who have older kids who are having very serious problems. It's the same with, but that's American chemicals. Same thing with coffee. Same thing. They have beers now. Beer used to be four and a half percent alcohol. Now they have beers that are twelve percent alcohol. Look, you can, I, I, you can, uh, marijuana can fuck you up. You smoke too much of that shit, you wind up in the ER. It happens a lot. Yeah, sure. People get psychotic. You get Absolutely. psychotic. Yeah. And that's because the THC levels are well, so it's a high? It's, a, it, it's stimulatory. And look, people get have there's amphetamine psychosis, too. So it's along that continuum. But it's, you know, hopefully more benign because it's illegal now, folks. Well, <laughs> you know, you got to be careful. You yeah. know, you do have to be careful. It's not a joke. You can wind up freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it... They're now talking about. I think Oregon LSD is legal. There's a there's a state where. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Where hallucinogens are. We legal. we I, this one quick story before we go. That, you know, I was bombarded in elementary school, and I guess we're roughly you know same generation um, with anti drug film. Remember those films? Like, right. Beep. The, Johnny the thinks egg. he's yeah. cool <laughs> to smoke reefer. Beep. <laughs> and then you advance the fan. It was another picture. The pusher, they call him the pusher, you know, the, the person that sold the drugs was a pusher in those days. Um, the pusher told, it said the first one is free. Beep. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, well, I was so inundated, and I took it so seriously um, that I was in ninth grade Spanish class, oddly enough, and this kid took out of his pocket some weed. He says, hey, Natterman, I got some weed, and he pulls it out of his pocket. And my, my thought was... Should I turn him in for his own good? <laughs> and I, I wrestled with that, and I didn't, thankfully. We didn't have a uniform. Yeah. Have a uniform. But I thought this kid's going down a very bad path. For, the kid's probably a Wall Street millionaire for all I know right now. But at that time, I thought, well, this, this is so dangerous, right. what he's doing, and, and, and it's what it's going to lead to. So the film worked. So the film strips worked on me very, very well. And I, I didn't smoke pot until after college. 
And and did you like it? Uh, first time, yes. The second time, I smoked too much, and I wound up curled up in a in a room in a dark room, thinking the cops were coming. Oh God! It was very unpleasant, and but instructive, because it was then that I learned that our brains are not ours. They do what our brains, like any other organ, decide how we feel, uh, regardless of the external environment. I got a I got a taste of what it is to be psychotic, and that was very instructive. I thought, is is is, is what the mind can make us think. That's so counter all evidence to the contrary. I thought the cops were coming. Yeah, yeah I, we're gonna have Freddie DeBoer on uh, in a couple weeks, and he talks a lot about that. Anyway, thank you for listening to Table Talk, um, the bonus episode from Live from the Table. We hope you enjoyed it. And again, podcast at ComedyCellar.com for comments and suggestions and constructive criticism and praise and whatever. Thank you, uh, Dr. Derlovsky, for joining us, not just for the mail, but for the bonus episode. This is my daughter. She's calling me. What is this, sweetheart? Uh, thank you, Periel. Thank you, Noam. And thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> Nicole, bye-bye. So